Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Dewey Burke and Sean Moran. Guys, we are recording this on Wednesday. Most people will be listening to it on Thursday, so the official first day of the NCAA tournament, regardless of what that first four, all of that stuff. So, you know, here we sit on the eve of all the excitement. And, you know, Sean, what what's your thoughts right now, man? I'm really excited for Thursday, and I'm just hoping that this podcast turns out a little better than last year. Uh, we got on, I think, the Wednesday before the first round, and unfortunately didn't have one uh, to follow up after that first weekend. So hopefully we'll be going forward um, after two games. Yeah, um, you know, seeing Charlotte there and the Tar Heels playing there, oof, that was that was a pretty rough one. But uh, we'll get to that here in a second. Dewey, man, haven't talked with you in a while. How are things going for you out there in Colorado? Everything is good. You should probably ask me on Sunday night. Uh, as long <laughs> as we win two games, I'll I'll be in a really good place. But uh, I think we'll do that. So all good here. Yeah, I mean, it is the NCAA tournament, March Madness, all those cliches. And, you know, there will be 63 teams that will have their hearts broken. Only one will stand at the end. So, you know, let's go ahead and just go down memory lane and just bring up those old past terrible memories. And Dewey, I'm going to start with you, man. You know, when you were on the team your first year, you guys had a pretty bad upset. And the team kind of had the parallel last year when they faced off against that Texas A&M team that just really took it to them. So how'd you guys kind of play through that? And what do you think that the team has learned going into this year's matchups? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. You know, thinking about our loss in 2006 in comparison to the A&M loss, I would, I would argue that A&M at least was a power five team and had a, had at least one, if not two NBA players on their team. Whereas the George Mason team that we lost to, we absolutely had no excuse. But the interesting part is that Mason then at least went on to go all the way to the Final Four, whereas A&M got blown out in their next game in the Sweet 16. It's like somehow they were satisfied they beat Carolina and that was good enough for their season. So um, just kind of interesting to, to think about those uh, and how each played out after they beat us. But anyway, um, that was a huge upset when we lost to them. We were really playing great. Also, at the end of the year in 2006, we obviously, the historic win that we had at Cameron on J.J. Reddick's senior night where nobody thought we'd win. We, you know, we win that. We, at that time, I think we had won four or five straight um, and we were playing really well. And it was just a weird set of circumstances where Tyler didn't have the the game we'd been accustomed to him having and we didn't shoot the ball well. We turned it over and they made a run late and stole it from us. And uh, I'll never forget being in that locker room and looking at, listening to, watching David Noel with his career being over. And the finality of that for him, taking off his jersey for the last time and those kind of things was like wild to think about, even with all that he had accomplished and obviously the championship in 2005, for that to just, it, all of a sudden it was just over, just like it would have felt for Joel and Theo last year. Uh, because those guys, especially those guys, having just come off two Final Fours and a national championship to all of a sudden lose in the second round or whatever, third round now, 
was such a shock to your system. The finality of it is, it feels like a death, you know, not to be morbid or related to anything more serious, but that's what it feels like. It feels like you, you had a death in the family and you're sitting there like, Oh my God, I, I can't believe that just happened. Um, so we can get into, you know, how that drives you into the summer if you want, but that, you know, that's what I remember very vid- vividly is looking at David Noel at his locker being like, Oh my God, he's done. Like he'll, he'll never do this again. I'm going to come back to you in, in a little bit, Dewey, to definitely dig into that uh, some more. But, you know, Sean, looking back to that loss of last year, the overarching theme coming out of that was that Carolina just got bullied inside. They did not have the size to fight Texas A&M, and that was a concern going into this season. But the Tar Heels have overcome that. And I heard some, a lot of other people talking about how this year's squad is better than last year, even though they lost Theo Pinson and Joel Berry, which going into this year, I would never have believed that. So, you know, what do you think has led to growth of this year's squad being able to overcome those deficiencies and got that, that number one seed where a lot of people are predicting them to be a final four contender? You know, one thing on Texas A&M, I know, once again, last year we talked about it, and I remember, you know, not really having any idea if Texas A&M or Providence would win, but I felt UNC would destroy Providence, and if they played Texas A&M, and I got a chance to see them in person, actually having a good game, so I knew they were capable, and they went 6'10", 6'9", 6'10", with another 6'10 guy going off the bench, and we saw kind of what, what happened, but in terms of UNC, I don't think anybody would have predicted a one seed. Um, at least I, I would not have at the beginning of the year. And I think uh, Kobe was pretty highly rated coming in, but the question was, can he play point guard? And Kobe has been amazing. And, and he's been in the, the first round of mock drafts all year, but uh, it was finally the past few weeks where he's really shot up and he's been fantastic. Cam Johnson, uh, he was good last year, but missed the start of the year. And it obviously took him some time to get going. And he's, he shot the lights out at a historic rate. And then you have guys that are really finding their role in Garrison Brooks and Kenny Williams. Um, and then you have, you have I think, Coach Williams, who, who played a pretty deep bench early on in the season. And, you know, sometimes the Michigan game, he went, uh, you know, his whole bench at the same time. And, and now he's shortened the rotation. But when he does bring those guys in, uh, especially Naz, who can crash the boards and add some electricity off the bench, I think everybody knows their role. And have a very strong outside shooting team, um, but at the same time, a little bit better defensively, and everything has really been clicking uh, for the most part through the ACC season. And I think that the team leadership has also just been at a higher level than what a lot of people could have expected. And Kobe White, the freshman point guard, has played a huge part of that. So, you know, Dewey, you talked about the the finality, and you guys had an awesome team leader in David Noel. I've heard a lot of stories about just what type of presence he was. This year's UNC team has three seniors, Kenny Williams, Luke May, and Cameron Johnson. Luke and Kenny were on a national championship winning team. So how do you think the dynamic is in that locker room when it comes to the leadership between those guys mixing with someone like Kobe White that has been kind of the engine behind this team for much of the season? Yeah, it's interesting to think about it. And if the question is to kind of compare it to to what you said, to when David Noel was our captain and senior and leader and everything, you know, obviously that year, 0506, Tyler was our best player and our, and our main and leading scorer and leading rebounder and got all the accolades. But David Noel was both our leader and the heartbeat of our team. 
right? He was the guy who had been there. He had experience. He's the guy we all looked to, the freshmen all looked to for how do we do this? How do we play on the road? How do we stay tough when we're at Rupp Arena and, and at Cameron, et cetera? And so he was both our leader and our heartbeat. What I think about this team is the three seniors collectively, it appears, lead well and lead as a group, probably Luke and Kenny more so than Cam since Cam came later. But there is no question the heartbeat of this team is Kobe White. And that, to me, is a little bit of the difference between the two. Again, if that's what you're asking. As Kobe goes, we go. I mean, I just believe because the ball's in his hands uh, so much and he's orchestrating the offense, he's hunting his shot first a lot of the time, and he has the ability to explode for 30 to 35 at really any moment, that this tournament is going to be about two things for me how Kobe plays and how we shoot the ball, because I think we've kind of polished up and cleaned up the the deficiencies that we had earlier in the year. Defensively, the rotation is set. We're pretty solid on the backboard. The only way that I think we lose and particularly Luke could potentially lose early is if we don't shoot the ball. Well, it's the only reason we lost to Duke on Friday. You know, you really unpack that game. Cam makes those two early threes. And then the rest of the night we shoot two for 25. 8%. You just make one of them and we win the game. So those are the two things for me. It's how does Kobe play and can he explode through the tournament and become legendary? And do we shoot the ball well enough to beat the teams that we should beat? And then look, if you get to the elite eight against the Kentucky or you get to the final four, then you got to beat good teams and that's the way it goes. And you need a little bit of luck and, and maybe luck will be on our side and we can go hang another banner. We'll see. But those are the keys for me. All right, Sean, let's get your keys to the team making a run this year. Would you agree that, that Kobe is kind of the, the, the main driving force there? Or do you think it could be another X factor that fans are possibly overlooking a little bit to really decide these games when they get close? No, I definitely agree with with Kobe and the three point shooting. I think you, we've seen when UNC has struggled, Kobe White has has struggled as well. Um, obviously, if you're not going to shoot the ball well, then things can get difficult. You know, one thing looking ahead, you know, not to skip over Iona, but looking ahead to a potential Sunday matchup, and you know, I definitely think they're very winnable games as they should be as a as a one versus eight or nine. But Utah State, for example, is very good uh, closing off offensive offensive boards. Um, so I think that's something to look for given how strong UNC is year in and year out um, offensive rebounding. And here's a team that could potentially take that away. Um, you know, but at the same time, I don't think there's a talent level at the Washington or Utah state that should prevent UNC from advancing. But I think once you get past this weekend, hopefully knock on wood and, and get to next weekend, I think that's where it will get very interesting. So I actually think that a player that will be very instrumental in the Heels' ultimate success is Garrison Brooks because him fouling out of the Duke game really did end up having kind of the hidden impact, especially later on when the Heels were trying to, to close that one out. So, you know, Dewey, when you've watched Garrison, I think he's shown a ton of improvement over the course of this season. Where you come down on his ability to kind of play that tough defense and just chip in, you know, his 10, 11, 12 points and haul down those tough rebounds. Yeah, I mean, the key for me as it relates to Garrison is just size. I mean, he's he's not as big as some of the bigs we've had in the past. But when we go Luke, Nasir, 
Cam, Kenny, and Kobe, we are we're small in terms of the front court. It's odd because it's a it's a big set of guys. You know, Cam at the three at six nine, and Nasir at six eight or whatever he is six seven, and Luke, but with no six ten six eleven, we're we're small in the front court. And so Garrison's critical, and you brought up the Duke game. I mean, for me, if you put aside the fact that we shot the ball so horribly in that Duke game, the stretch of the game where we probably lost it is Luke makes his and one, or at least he makes the, the layup and gets fouled with a chance to put a, put a free throw in and put us up five. He misses the free throw. They come down, put it in design. They call what I thought was a pretty poor fifth foul on Garrison. The basket goes in, and instead of being five with our best defender on the floor, it's now one without him. And then we have to play the rest of the game with Nasir guarding Zion, which, as we saw, uh, did not work out uh, as well as it could, even though I think he played good defense on the initial shot on that last possession. He didn't box out. Zion was able to get the, the offensive tip in. So him being out of the game and him just having a little bit more length and a little bit more size, maybe he gets a finger or tip on that offensive rebound and we recover it and it's different. So look, he's by far and away our best big defensively. And because coach has kind of stated, he's not probably going to play Sterling because the rotation is set. He's really all we got. So I don't worry so much about what he gives us offensively as far as scoring but we need him to be at or near double figures in total rebounds. And he's going to guard the other team's best big. And he has to stay out of foul trouble because Nas can be good for us in spurts, but I just don't know if he's conditioned enough, ready enough to, to play heavy, heavy minutes without knowing that Garrison can come spot him. And when it comes to rebounding, the heels have done it just an incredible job rebounding, which is a UNC staple. That shouldn't be surprising to any Carolina fan. And, you know, teams in the ACC, they've seen it before because they play against the Tar Heels all the time, obviously. But I actually think it's kind of a shock to the system to teams that have only you know, watched film on UNC and, and they just know the generalities. So in the NCAA tournament, Sean, you know, how do you think that, that Roy Williams style translates? And do you think it could catch some of these teams off guard early on that going up against is, is just an entirely new experience? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that somehow always follows UNC, and I was reading an article on ESPN today, <clears throat> Jeff Morzello was talking uh, to some assistant coaches and they were giving their scouting report and the word soft always kind of follows UNC around. But at the same time, they'll always destroy you on the boards. Uh, so I think you know, one that's not going to be expected, but then at the same time, another thing is obviously how fast they go. And everybody knows UNC plays up tempo, but, you know, one of the reasons I would always love playing a Michigan State or, or somebody like that is because they're ones that will try to get in that up-tempo style um, versus a UVA where you know your possessions are going to go down by a good 10, 12 a game. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be key is is what teams are going to try to run and what teams are, are really going to try to slow it down. Um, you know, I think Washington with how they play their zone defense, um, that could be that could be interesting if they're trying to slow it down um, in kind of the Syracuse style. But, you know, you're looking at Iona in the first game and they're an up to up tempo team. So I could see UNC easily breaking 100 there. But I think that's going to be the key um, is kind of can UNC keep the pace that they're so used to and 
if a team tries to slow them down, who will win out on the possession battle? Dewey, before we take our first commercial break here to, to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt, just talk to us about the job that Coach Williams has done this year. And, you know, does he kind of do anything differently when it comes to the NCAA tournament? Are there any, you know, memories that you have of Coach kind of talking to you guys after that loss, say, to um, to the George Mason or Georgetown, and then what he did in the following year's tournament? You know, the, the only thing I remember from – his comments after we lost in the tournament was just talking to the guys that would be returning about, you know, kind of boilerplate stuff. This should fuel you and and this should burn and you should use that to, you know, to drive how hard you work in the off season. And it wasn't even stuff he had to say because, you know, guys did that anyway, because it, it is, like I said earlier, it feels like a death when you lose. Um, and I always reflect and, and think about, you know, the guys, some of the guys that I played with that ultimately won the 2009 championship, if you look back, I, I think sometimes people forget this. You know, in 2006, which is the year we've been talking about, they lost in the round of 32. In 2007, we lost in the Elite Eight. In 2008, they lost in the Final Four. And then 2009, they finally won it. I think people forget that sometimes, that it, it they built their way to that 2009 championship. It didn't come easy by any stretch. And I know how talented we were. And I know we blew everybody off the floor in those six games. Our margin of victory was crazy. But that wasn't just because all of a sudden they figured it out in 08, 09 and got really good. That took four years to build that. And three years with the class below them with Wayne and Ty. So uh, I think sometimes that's lost that you have to build to being a championship team unless you're, you know, Kentucky in 2012 and Duke in 2015 and you catch fire with a group of freshmen. I just think the the path to it is so much more arduous than people realize. And, it, you know, the things that he would say to us when it was tournament time were not that different than regular games, you, but you could just sense his level of intensity being increased and he would talk about the finality of if it ends and he would talk to us about, you know, he, he always loves to say this group right here, right in front of me is good enough to win the whole damn thing. And when you hear that from your coach, who's been there and done, I mean, you get goosebumps, right? I mean, I get them now thinking about hearing him say that. So when you're, when you're having those kind of conversations, when it's not just getting ready for the next game, it's we're getting, yes, we're getting ready for the next game, but it's also, we're good enough to win the whole thing. And I don't care what anybody says, there aren't 68 teams that can say that. You know, they might say it and try to say they believe it, but to, it speaks to, to the level that Carolina is consistently at. At the beginning of the season and then at the beginning of the postseason, every single year, he says, you know, provided we're in the tournament except for that one year, he says, we are good enough to win the whole thing. And he truly believes it. And so that is what enhances the feeling and the pressure and everything is, is everybody knows what time it is. And then you hear someone like Coach Williams telling you that you can do this. You can win a banner and win a ring. All right, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break then. When we get back, going to talk with Sean Moran about a potential second-round matchup that the Heels have against either Utah State or Washington, since Sean is our West Coast guy on the Inside Carolina podcast. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. 
Let's take a moment to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. They are a very long-term supporter of Inside Carolina and the Inside Carolina podcast, and they are your place to go to for Carolina gear. Johnny T-Shirt has been a Franklin Street tradition for over 35 years, and they are one of the absolute iconic locations there on campus. They are locally and alumni-owned with a great staff that puts great value on customer service. It is really top-notch. When you go into Johnny T-Shirt, they make you feel like you are a part of the family. They are your place to go to for Carolina gear because it is their focus. They have a terrific selection of anything that you might want from memorabilia to jerseys to clothing and everything in between. And if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get your exclusive 10% off discount on all of your purchases. You can use that either in their Chapel Hill store or at johnnytshirt.com. That's johnnytshirt.com. So even if you live out of state and you still need that Johnny T-shirt fix, you can go there to order anything that you need Carolina related. So support Johnny T-shirt and support the Inside Carolina podcast. Visit their website, johnnytshirt.com and visit their store when you're in town on game days. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here, still with Dewey Burke and Sean Moran talking the 2019 NCAA tournament. And before we went to break, I kind of teased it a little bit, but you know, Sean, you're our West Coast expert. You are the only person I know that has actually watched, uh, watched Washington and maybe even Utah State. Don't know, but uh, I have not watched a minute of either team during the college basketball season. Just comes on too late for me. I'm a, I'm a curmudgeon. So <laughs> what can you tell us about those two teams from what you've observed from them or what you've, you've looked up on them since the matchups were announced? Sure. So I think it's a really interesting matchup. And right now you have Utah State favored by three points. Um, so you have Washington, the Pac-12 regular season champion that went 15-3 and three coming in as, as the underdog. Um, and I've been kind of going back and back and forth. Um, and, and right now I'm leaning Washington. So I'll kind of start with them. But they went 15-3 and three in a very weak conference. Um, but, you know, they do have some touted players. They have Jalen Noel, a sophomore, uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year, and he was kind of a high, high four-star. Then you have Noah Dickerson, a big guy, uh, senior, experienced. David Crisp, um, a, a shooter, uh, and then you have Matisse Thibel, who, from a stat perspective, is is kind of eye-popping with his uh, steal and block rate, and you put him in that two-three zone. And then you have you know some other other athletes. So it's it's really interesting with Mike Hopkins there and and playing the zone defense and. Washington finally making it back to the tournament. Uh, you know, I think people that did watch him probably saw him against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game where they didn't break 50 and ended up losing by 20 points. Um, so I think that's probably fresh in everybody's mind. I think athletically, it'd be a, it would be a good challenge for UNC. Uh, and I think Washington could, could potentially hang around for a decent part of the game. But I think UNC's talent and size and shooting would would definitely overwhelm Washington. But as of right now, I'm, I'm leaning Washington, Washington over Utah State, but um, you know Utah State is is a really strong team. Uh, they they won the Mountain West. They they beat Nevada in a highly publicized uh, ESPN game just a few weeks ago, and they have you know one player in um, Sam Morell that is you know he was the player of the year as well, and he's shooting 37 percent from the three point line and was just looking on synergy and really I think he was in the 96th percentile offensively and everything is um, excellent and no matter what he does. And then they have, uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but Nemius uh, Queta, 
who's a freshman, uh, 6'11 kid, and he is uh, top 20 in block percentage. So um, you definitely have some talent on both sides. I don't think Utah State is quite as deep. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, they really do a good job kind of plugging off the offensive, offensive boards. Uh, good shooting team, you know, pretty good defensively, ranking the top uh, 45 on, on each end. But uh, I think it would be, it's going to be a good matchup no matter who they're playing. But I don't get that feeling that it's going to be a huge upset of the making, knock on wood. Um, but I think it'll definitely be, one, a competitive game between the two of them. And then an interesting matchup given the zone defense and the offensive rebounding ability that Utah State has um, as well. But, you know, speaking of kind of the the Friday-Sunday game, so obviously Iona and then the Utah, um, Utah State-Washington winner, I'm curious from Dewey's perspective of how really the preparation works. You kind of go all week. I guess, are you spending the week preparing for that first opponent or are you mixing in a little bit on the other two opponents you might see? Um, or is it just kind of a really a data dump come, come Saturday of going through the team as well as Sunday morning? Yeah, great question. The tournament, the tournament's very unique in that respect. So I don't remember what game it was when I played that we had one of these super late tip-offs that we're going to have this coming Friday, which by the way is so brutal as a player. You know, I know it's whatever, a 920 Eastern tip, it ends up always getting pushed back because some game ahead of it goes overtime or whatever. They're probably going to tip it like 944 and to wait all day, like you think, oh, like they don't have class. They can just watch the games and hang out. No, it's horrible because you just sit around all day, all night waiting to play and you tip off almost at 10 o'clock. So they're going to have that. And then assuming we win and take care of business as we should, uh, we will then and only then turn our focus to the next opponent. So during the week, it's all going to be just getting ready, getting travel and tickets situated and worrying about Iona. The way Coach Williams will split it up is he'll have one of his assistants do the Iona scout, and then the other two, one will take Washington and one will take Utah State. So the scout will be done and prepared, save for watching the game between the two of them when they play before us. And normally when we play, we always watch clips of the the previous game and break it down with Coach and all those kind of things. There'll be none of that because you just got to move forward. So – if I remember correctly, we'll play late Friday night, win hopefully, do media and press afterwards, get back to the hotel for dinner or, or you know midnight snack, and that will be the first time that the guys will watch clips of whomever we're going to play, um, and whoever the coach who has the scout will give the presentation and the and the first look at the scouting report. So they'll see it late, late Friday night. They'll see it again Saturday at breakfast. They'll go to Saturday practice, and the blue team will run them through a couple of the sets that the assistant has picked out. They'll watch the tape probably one more time that night at um, at snack or, or post-dinner meeting. Um, they'll watch the clips again Sunday morning at breakfast, and then it's time to go play again on Sunday. So it's a very condensed schedule, and it's all forward-looking. I mean, they'll say for Coach Williams throwing in an anecdote or two, they won't even hardly talk about the Iona game because you have to switch gears and switch focus so quickly with that one day off and move right on. So that's uh, that's what I remember, and, and I, I doubt that it would have changed very much. Yeah, that is just such a condensed schedule, and I'm with you, dude. I think that tipping off basically at almost 10 p.m. Eastern time, that would just be so rough. I couldn't even imagine 
the stress that it would put on the players all it's day awful. long. It's awful. And Coach Williams hates it. I guarantee you, if he hasn't already, he'll make a comment about it, maybe at the press conference tomorrow. Um, I guarantee you he'll have something to say about that because he just he doesn't think it's right to make kids wait until 10 p.m. to play. Yeah, especially with how, as many different channels as as the NCAA tournament is on nowadays. I mean, it's it's everywhere. There's there's opportunities to move it up, but oh well, they want the eyeballs, and uh, it's the money maker for the NCAA, so it's not changing anytime. But let's go ahead and talk about the potential Sweet 16 matchup, guys. So you know, let's hope that Carolina does make it through their first two games. Out of the bottom side of that top half of the Midwest, you know, the four-seed Kansas, five-seed Auburn, and then New Mexico State, and I even forget who, who who Kansas is playing. But when you're looking at those teams and, you know, Dewey, are there anyone from those kind of four that does give you some worry should the Tar Heels make it to the Sweet 16 in Kansas City? You know, it's a great question. So I think everybody's original response to seeing the bracket was, oh, they screwed us. We're going to have to play Kansas and Kansas City. Look, Kansas is not that good. They're not good. Let's just say that. They're not good compared to what they've been. Um, They're missing LeGerald Vick. They're missing the big fella, Azubuki. So if we can't beat this, this version of Kansas, then we don't deserve to play anymore anyway. So... That didn't really bother me. I know it'll be a road game, essentially, blah, blah, blah. It's not tougher than playing at Cameron. So let's go. I mean, put your shoes on and go play. Um, But even saying all that, I think Auburn's going to beat them. So I don't even think we're going to play Kansas. If you ask me what my picks were, I think Auburn's better than them. And I also think Auburn is the best five of the four or five seeds. That's, again, just my opinion. But I've seen them play a couple times, and I think they're athletic. They shoot it. They play with pace. They've got guys who can get to the rim. So that's who I think we're going to play. And then at that point, and this has always been my belief, if you get to the Elite Eight, you have to play somebody good. So I don't care who it is. If it's, uh, it's probably going to be Kentucky. It should be. If we get there and they get there, great. Beat somebody good to get to the Final Four. You should have to. So that doesn't bother me. Do I think the NCAA or the whatever the selection committee likes to try to set up you know, marquee TV matchups and they put us in Kentucky in the same bracket a lot? Of course. It's about money. And so, look, if we're fortunate to get back there, we owe them one because we played like crap against them earlier in the year. So go beat somebody that's really good and get to the Final Four. I'm good with it. All right, Sean. Elite Eight. Pressure is mounting. Anybody from that bottom half of the Midwest bracket that you think you know will potentially make it through, give the Tar Heels a run? I mean, Dewey talked about UK, and they are absolutely the team that you see most pundits and I feel like a majority of fans picking to come out of there. But, you know, is there another team that you think may make a run? Maybe Iowa State, maybe Houston lives up to their very high ranking for much of this season. What's your take on a potentially Elite Eight matchup there? Yeah, I think Kentucky is, is definitely the favorite, but it'll be interesting to monitor uh, P.J. Washington and how how his injury is. I know he's expected to play uh, the first game, but it wouldn't surprise me if he sits out. But he wasn't a walking boot, so you know if he if he hurts that, that's really a, a huge you know a huge thing to watch. Uh, but I think there's some really interesting games in that bottom half, and I, I think Seton Hall could advance past Wofford, and then I think. Georgia State could potentially 
you know, if I, if I had to pick a, a big upset, I would pick a Georgia State over Houston. And I think Iowa State, they won the Big 12 and have been playing really well, have a lot of talent. So I think they could give Kentucky some problems. But at the same time, I don't think anybody's really picking um, Ohio State. I know they have Caleb Wesson back. So I think that'll be, you know, a, a fun one to watch. But if it all comes down to it, I, I think Kentucky is definitely the favorite. Um, you know, me personally, I kind of like the fact that UNC already lost to them similar to two years ago. So they kind of have a chip on their shoulder. Um, Kentucky knows they can beat them, but I think that was a totally different UNC team that, that we saw. Um, so, you know, if they do get to Kansas, uh, I think it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. Um, I'm probably a little more scared of Kansas than Dewey is. I know, you know, they, they've lost their, their best players, but, uh, you know, something about, playing Bill Self and just, you know, trying to beat Kansas for the first time, um, I think still, you know, is is out there. Um, but, I, you know, one matchup in that one is Devon Dotson versus Kobe White, uh, two talented freshman point guards from North Carolina. So I think that could be a fun one to watch. But, um, you know, you have to you have to beat good teams to become a champion. And, and not everything can be like, you know, 2016, where uh, they're playing Notre Dame in the Elite Eight and then and Syracuse in the Final Four. So, they definitely have their work cut out, but at the same time, you never know how a bracket can break. So something that looks challenging right now, um, who knows where it could lead next weekend. This is going to be the year where there are going to be a ton of upsets, I feel like. But at the same time, I really just get the sense that there is kind of that top eight. And I think that the selection committee really did do a good job of the ones in the two seeds, because I think that there is a talent gap this year. And, you know, I do believe it will be UNC versus Kentucky. We'll see how it goes. And then, you know, when you're talking about potential Final Four, I think either UVA or Tennessee, again, one in two seeds. I think the Tar Heels, if they get that far, will be facing off against one of them. And uh want actually to give a very quick shout out to Bo Estes of NBA.com because I think he even also on the last podcast with Sean, you know, talked about Washington, Utah State. So, uh, you know, I'm going to give Bo the shout out that, that he deserves there. And, you know, Dewey, an interesting thing that was brought up by Inside Carolina's Greg Barnes on an earlier podcast. I don't know if you heard it, but he talked about, you know, facing Duke in the, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Sean and I and Bo talked about it. All of us were absolutely against it. After that ACC tournament game, though, I don't know. Greg may be swaying me. If the Tar Heels are going to play Duke this year, it will be for all the marbles in the national championship game. Number one. Do you want that to happen? And number two, would you even be able to watch that game live, man? <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Good look. If if that happens, that means we got there, which means we won five games, which is unbelievable. And then you got one chance to hold bragging rights forever in the rivalry. I mean, the magnitude of that is astounding to think about. Uh, it's one of those things where people like make jokes about breaking the internet that game, you know, would do it, at least as it relates to our sport. Um, it'd be incredible. Like, I, I'm for it. I'm for it as a fan of the game. I'm for it as a fan of the ACC, and I'm for it as obviously a Carolina guy. So, um, you know, would I prefer it? No. I hope they lose in the Sweet 16 or lose whenever. But if they don't and, you know, that happens, that means we, we did a hell of a job getting there, and it's maybe coaches – best coaching job ever, even if we get there and lose to them or somebody else. So I'm good with it. I, you know, I don't, 
I don't tend to adhere to the people saying they don't want it because of, you know, dear God, if we lose, then they'll always have 2019 on us. It's like, you know, whatever. It's still more fun and cooler to have played at Carolina or be a Carolina fan anyway. So I don't care. And so, Sean, after watching the ACC tournament game where Zalen came back and, as Dewey said earlier, I mean, the Tar Heels were one basket away from winning that game. Have you changed your mind about potentially playing this year's Duke team in the NCAA tournament? I think I've definitely changed my tune from from last week, and I, I think it would be really fun, very nerve-wracking. But you look at what they just played, and obviously Zion was just coming back, and you know he had a heck of a game, but still kind of working his way in. But, I mean, you still look at Duke, and and you know they, they brought in Goldwire and Varankovic off the bench to try something different, and, and it did work, but you know, pound for pound, I think you can put UNC up there. And I think that's why I was so confident heading into the first game going against Duke, even though they're nine point underdogs. And I think talent wise, they, they match up a uh, much better shooting team. You know, I think that's the question mark for Duke. Um, everybody has pretty much penciled them in to the championship game. But once again, this is, I think the worst shooting Duke team there is. And what happens if Zion gets in foul trouble or something could happen to Zion? And now all of a sudden you're depending on RJ Barrett and, and Cam Reddish, which not to say they can't do it, but I think that definitely uh, brings up some question marks. Uh, but I think it would be, it'd be a fun game, a high level game. And, you know, I think Carolina does have the talent to, to pull it off. I, and I, I have two more follow-ups. I think what you hit it, Sean, is something will happen in, in the course of one of their games where they're going to have to, claw out a win if Zion gets in foul trouble or he bangs his knee or something happens. And I still, as talented as he is, and he is a freak and a load and all those things, I still think the line is thinner than most believe for them because they've had games where they looked downright awful and they've had stretches even with Zion where they really didn't look good. So they still have to do what everybody else does, what we have to do, which is play great five times or play good enough five times and get a little lucky to get all the way to that last Monday. So they're not invincible. They're not their 2015 team. They're not the Kentucky 12 team. They're not like us in 09, where you just watched us walk out for the opening tip and are like, I mean, holy hell, we're going to just beat the hell out of this team. They don't have that invincibility about them. That's my first point. Second, they don't want to play us. I'm telling you, they know, I don't care what they say publicly, Zion this, Zion that. They know they should have lost that game. They know they should be 0-3 against us. And that it, psychologically, for a team to have beat you three times, even though they're taking that one as a win, they know we outplayed them and should have won. I don't care what anybody says. They don't want to play us because far and away, we have played them better than anybody else. I know Gonzaga beat them and everything, but those kids were super young. That was what, their third game of the year, fifth game, whatever seasoned and playing as well as they could play, I think they beat us by one and we shot the ball terrible. So I really don't think they want to see us again. I believe that not just as a Carolina guy who's obviously biased. I just think we present an interesting matchup for them. Luke is tough for them to manage. Cam is tough for them to manage. Kobe, if he has a great, I just don't think they want to play us. Yeah, I think uh, great points. And I think um, coming into the, the ACC semifinal game, I think they really did want to play us in that one. And then, you know, they lost to us twice without Zion and Zion Zion's back. And I think they were really looking forward to that. And I was kind of expecting, 
you know, I was expecting UNC to put up a fight, but I thought Duke could win handily and I was ready to move on and get ready for the tournament. So the fact that UNC was up double digits and it came to an offensive rebound putback and a shot from Cam that looked good off his fingertips. Um, I, I definitely agree with that point. And I think it would definitely be flipped from, you know, what they're looking for last week. All right, guys, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast with this. And Sean, since you were just talking, going to go ahead and start with you on this one. If the Tar Heels make the Final Four, it will be because of this. And on the flip side, if the Tar Heels do not make it deep in the tournament, it will be because something happened. So fill in the blanks there as to those two questions. Um, that's a, that's a good one. All right. So if, if they do make the final four, um, it's going to be because of kind of the unsung heroes. So can, uh, Kenny Williams play like he did against Duke? Can, can Naz Little have a good game in the elite eight when it really matters and, and things are, are not looking good. So, um, I think if they make it to the final four, it's going to be because somebody stepped up outside of the normal people to have a, to have a big game. Um, if they don't, if they don't make the final four, I think, um, you know, it's going to be, I, I think you can see two things. One, uh, Luke may kind of having a, a poor shooting game and, and he's maybe forcing the issue. And two, uh, Kobe just having one of those games where, you know, he, he's maybe four of 14 or something to that extent, just given how important he is and how well we all know he can play. Um, uh, if he's not playing up to that, that level then, you know, I think Kobe and Luke will be the two uh, things that could go wrong um, if, if we were to see them not make the Final Four. All right, Dewey, let's go ahead and end this one with your thoughts. Answer those two questions, man. Yeah, us getting to the Final Four, I think everybody's got to play well. I agree with what Sean said. Somebody's going to step up in a moment, maybe outside of our our core three scorers and make a big shot, a big play, take a charge, whatever the case may be. And whether that's Garrison or Nasir, or maybe it's B Rob, uh, or maybe it's Kenny, which would be great. Uh, that, I think that was a, a well put statement, but you got to play really well. And the other thing, if we get to the final four, we will have had some, whether it be small or large, some piece of luck that, that goes our way, a bounce or a call or whatever. Cause that always happens unless you're just an absolute juggernaut and you blow everybody out. Uh, and if we don't get there, I'm back on shooting. I think we've shored up the rest of the parts of the game that are important. We rebound the ball well. We're, we've gotten better getting out in transition as the season has gone on. And we are defending at a much higher rate, uh, evidenced by where we finished in the Ken Palm at the end of the year. Our Achilles heel is sometimes we have these games, and the ones that come to mind are at Duke and the ACC tournament against Duke, where we just shoot the ball horribly from the outside and they that may get you through the first two games or so but after that you got to make shots and at the end of the day it's a make or miss game and you got to make shots and we can't have a night where we go pick a number three four five for 20 plus because that's going to be awfully difficult because we just don't get a ton of easy baskets generally on this team so we got to shoot it but if we shoot it and we guard people i think we get there one more quick thing, um, just going back to the, the Texas game where you had Pro and Roach go for uh, 32 points. Um, I know UNC, we've seen this happen where one guy can just get extremely hot and, and carry their team to an upset victory. So I think that would be 
uh, one other factor that if UNC is losing, you might be able to point to some guy just catching fire and, and going for 30. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much for talking with me. And uh, hopefully we will hear from both of you guys later on in the tournament. Unlike last year, like <laughs> Sean said, uh, we were one and done on the podcast side. But uh, you know, hopefully there's a deep run. We have lots to talk about. This one, though, guys, I really appreciate it again. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.